the American History Podcast bonus episode. Welcome to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Morswick. Okay, welcome back to the show. Now, today we have a special interview episode with historian Stuart A. Reed. He is the author of the new book, The Luamba Plot, The Secret History of the CIA and a Cold War Assassination. This is a great book. I think you're going to really enjoy it, especially if you're a Cold War fanatic like I am. Now, Stuart is an executive editor over at Foreign Affairs and has written for The New York Times, The Washington Post, Political Magazine, and numerous other publications. Now, remember, there is a link in the show notes page, so you can head over to Amazon and pick yourself up a copy of this fantastic new book. Now, with that being said, here's the interview. Okay, so welcome to the show, Stuart. How are you doing today? Fine, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm excited to have you. This is a fantastic book. Um, so let me just start off with asking, why this book and why now? What, what, How did you get into this story? So I had the chance to visit Congo for a magazine article I was writing, um, which was about the present day and about a, an American diplomat there. And when I went to the Congo, I was instantly taken with the place and started reading up on its history. And the more I read, the more I realized there was this great untold story about the country's traumatic birth as an independent nation in 1960. And it was front page news of the New York Times almost every day in 1960, in the summer of 1960, yet it became almost completely forgotten. I had never learned anything about it in school and, and knew basically nothing. And so the more I read, the more I realized there was a story that I just had to tell. Yeah, it's a fascinating story, and it's a fascinating time in um, in American history. You got the Cold War going on and stuff. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to jump to that though. Let, let's just get with what is what is your arguments? Your book's argument. So the book is primarily a narrative about um, Patrice Lumumba, who was the Prime Minister of Congo upon independence in 1960. His rise, his extraordinary rise from humble circumstances, and then his fall, um, his ousting from power as prime minister, his uh, being placed under arrest and ultimately executed in January 1961. So it tells that story um, insofar as there's an argument. There is one about broader U.S. foreign policy and during the Cold War, which is that the United States fundamentally misjudged Lumumba. They considered him potentially pro-communist, useful for Soviet purposes. In fact, he was just trying to desperately keep his country together in extraordinary circumstances. But from Washington's perspective, he made the fatal error of reaching out to the Soviets for help, which caused the CIA to put in motion this um, insane scheme to assassinate him. And so at, at the end of the book, I argue that there was this real paranoia, this Cold War paranoia that motivated American policymakers and caused them to view every action Lumumba took in the least favorable light possible. And, and these, this attitude and this failure to see him for who he was ultimately led to his death. That's interesting because, um, of course, I can't remember the, the book now, but in Central America, when you had these movements 
um, around the same time in the 50s, Guatemala and, and stuff, you know, anytime anybody mentioned land reform, it seemed like the CIA showed up on their doorstep with a, <laughs> along with a, an overthrow, uh, just so happens. So I, I found that part of, of the book interesting where, you know, he starts to talk to the Soviets and then all of a sudden he's labeled a communist. Um, was there, was the, so was this all Cold War? Was there any other interest that the United States had in the Congo? It was almost entirely about the Cold War and communism and Soviet influence. You know, I expected to find more evidence that, uh, you know, mineral interests and financial aspects would motivate American behavior, but they really didn't. Um, the commercial ties from Congo were almost entirely to Belgium. So, with, you know, those interests can explain some Belgian behavior, but not much American. At that point, 1960, the U.S. was no longer importing any uranium from Congo, even though Congolese uranium had supplied um, one of the bombs dropped over Japan at the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. And there were not much strategic interests in Congo either. It was a faraway country, far away from both the Soviet Union and the United States. And yet America convinced itself that it mattered who ran Congo and it mattered which side they seemed to be on. And this was a mistake, I think. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, now, what, what I found interesting is I think this might have been in the prologue or chapter one. You mentioned the uh, the darker pursuits of the uh, the nineteen sixties, seventies, and eighties, but um, I'm wondering if if this book maybe lends to some of what's gone on in the last twenty years as well. I mean, I think a consistent theme in American foreign policy is allying with the pro American autocrat, mm -hmm. you know, the friendly tyrant. And this was certainly the case in Congo. In 1960, the United States made common cause with a man named Joseph Mobutu. He would later rename himself Mobutu Sese Seko and go on to become the dictator of Congo, which he then re renamed Zaire. And he stayed in power until 1997. Mm -hmm. And for the majority of his years in power, he had steadfast American support because he was our man and he was ostensibly pro-American and anti-Soviet. Mm -hmm. And he was seen as a stabilizing force. In fact, he was, you know, when you take the long-term perspective, deeply destabilizing to Congo and to the surrounding countries, as evidenced by the fact that when his regime collapsed, it, it sparked this massive civil war mm -hmm. that killed millions of people. So I think it's been a it's been a real through line of American policy, really, um, you know, since the beginning of the Cold War, to make this mistake of choosing the supposedly stable autocrat over the aspirations of the people in a given country, and that was, um, you know, very much perfected in Congo. <laughs> yeah. Boy, was it. Um, we're talking here today, just a reminder to everybody, we're talking to Stuart Reed, the author of the recently published The Luamba Plot, The Secret History of the CIA and a Cold War Assassination. You can pick it up at Barnes & Noble. Um, there is a link in the show notes page just to remind you to go pick this book up. I think you're going to really like it. It just came out a week ago as we're recording this on Monday, October 23rd. It came out Tuesday, and I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy it. Now, we talked a little bit about, or you mentioned Luamba. I don't think we've really dug into him, but 
he's such an interesting figure. Uh, his story is interesting. So if we could just kind of give, I don't want to give away too much, but if we could give the listeners kind of an overview about this this character, he's such a fascinating guy. So Lumumba was prime minister of Congo upon its independence in June 1960. And his own life is this real uh, remarkable rise and then tragic fall. So he was born in 1925 in a small village in what was then the Belgian Congo. Mm-hmm. And he moved to a city and joined the colonial administration, which was really the only option for an ambitious Congolese man in those days. And he worked at the post office as a postal clerk, um, making a fifth of what his white Belgian colleagues were making for the same work. And he embezzled money from the post office and was caught and thrown in jail. And in jail, he sort of he began a political awakening of sorts and read and wrote furiously and upon being released from jail, uh, moved to the capital of Congo, which was then known as Leopoldville, it's now Kinshasa, and went into, of all professions, beer promotion, um, sort of touring the bars of the city and promoting his brewery's beer over the rival beer. Um, and it was in this Sudsy environment that he really became politically active. And, and by that point, 1957, 1958, the first glimmers of nationalism were emerging and, and there was starting to be much more talk about independence from Belgium. So Lumumba um, co-founded a political party and then uh, traveled to other African countries and linked up with um, fellow African nationalists and then emerged as uh, the most popular politician in Congo. And when Belgium finally agreed to arrange the details of independence, they held elections that Lumumba, uh, parliamentary elections, and Lumumba got the most votes and was um, his party got the most seats and he was asked to form a government. And so he became prime minister when the country became independent. And he was really, I mean, everyone who met him his allies, his bitterest foes, they all agreed that he was remarkably charismatic. He had a silver tongue. He just really had a way with words, could win over any crowd, group of soldiers, et cetera. Um, That was sort of his defining political characteristic. It's always helpful if you're a politician to have that silver tongue, you know. Um, I noticed that early on, at least, he's very, very much concerned with um, kind of trying to quell um, Belgian fears. You know, he's always talking about how we're thankful for what they've done for us, that sort of thing. Does that, does that, does he get more militant as he goes on? He does. So there are, I think, two factors at play. First, so Lumumba's early writing and speeches are, as you say, very modest in retrospect. He's not asking for immediate independence. He's being very obsequious towards the Belgians, thanking them for all they've done, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We know that privately he seethed at the racism of the system. So part of this was strategic in that he knew that it uh, it made sense for him to try and curry favor with the colonial administrations if he were to advance his own status and his own project and ideas. So that was part of it. But I think also it was a a political evolution in progress. Um, I mean, Congo, especially compared to other European colonies in Africa, was the independence movement came really late. 
to the colony. And so Lumumba was reflecting the broader ideas in the air in his in the colony where he lived at the time, where only late in the 1950s did it become uh, commonplace to call for independence. So he really he experienced an evolution and he also um, was judging what was permissible and not permissible to say at any given time. Now, one of the other figures that that is prominent in the book is Larry uh, Devlin. Let's talk a little bit about him. What um, what role does he play? Larry Devlin is the CIA station chief in Congo at the time. He's young. He's in his, his mid thirties, thirty seven, thirty eight, um, and it was a testament to how little the CIA cared about Congo that it put this relatively junior uh, CIA officer in charge of its its station in Leopoldville, the capital. But of course, after independence, there's a, a massive crisis and there's a mutiny, a province breaks away, Lumumba's desperate, calls in the UN. And so it suddenly becomes this Cold War hotspot. And Devlin was um, a very much a man of action. He, he you know, liked to act first and ask for permission later. Uh, and he made a lot of key decisions during the months and, uh, and year of the Congo crisis and ultimately was an opponent of Lumumba, you know, thought him dangerous, uh, potentially useful for, for Soviet purposes. And he made an alliance with um, Joseph Mobutu, who, as I mentioned earlier, would go on to rule the country. So Devlin is a, a pivotal figure in all of this. The CIA... Um, tried to assassinate Lumumba and Devlin was handed poisons that he was instructed to put in Lumumba's food or toothpaste. Um, so there's a lot of intrigue going on at this time. Yeah, it's a great, I mean, this is a great cold war um, type story. It's I, sometimes as I'm reading it, it's, it's hard to believe, <laughs> but um, it almost, I don't know, to me, it seems like it would have come out of a Hollywood novel or, or screenplay or something. Um, now, how does the how does this story? Was there anything in there that surprised you? I guess is the the question I want to ask. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised at the extent to which Lumumba could be characterized as fundamentally pro-American. So, at the time, when you look at the CIA cables, the State Department cables, certainly what the Belgians were thinking. Lumumba was painted as this radical and, you know, flirting with the Soviets and, and potentially communist. But if you actually look at his own words and his own actions, he was remarkably sympathetic toward America. When he visited the United States in July 1960 into August, and he even called on the United States to send American troops to Congo, which is hardly the... Uh, appeal that someone who is pro-Soviet would make, and I'm sure yeah. Moscow could not have been happy about that. So, you know, among the left, he's been adopted as this mythological hero after his death. And among Americans and Westerners at the time, he was seen as, as radical and unreliable. Um, and my research found that there was a lot of evidence that he was very sympathetic toward America. So in that sense, Washington really missed a chance with him, I think. That's that's kind of not surprising, sadly, to say. 
Um, now you mentioned your research. Let's just I want to wrap up and just remind everybody we are talking to um, Stuart, and he's written us this great book, The Lumba Plot: The Secret History of the CIA and the Cold War, um, by Stuart A. Reed. It's available at all of your bookstores um, online on Amazon. Once again, we've put a link in the show notes page so you can go and grab yourselves a copy. Um, what can you tell us about the sources? Was it hard to do research? Was there a lot of sources out there? It was it was painstaking and time-consuming, but there really was a wealth of material. So the main sources are archival documents, those produced by the CIA, the State Department, the United Nations, the Belgian government, and those really allowed me to tell the play-by-play and all the detail. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, and and much has been declassified over the years. I mean, still frustratingly, there are things that are not yet declassified, but a lot has come out. So that was, that was really useful. Um, But, you know, there were very few Congolese archival documents because of the chaos that followed. They were, whatever documents were produced were lost or destroyed. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to get that side as well. So what I did was I um, talked, I interviewed people, Congolese who were alive at the time. Many of them were um, uh, the children of, of, they were children at the time and their parents were the major figures. Mm -hmm. So they were useful for various memories. Um, I used oral histories taken with various Congolese actors and then uh, visited Congo to, to see the sites and interview people. Um, and then there are a lot of, you know, obscure memoirs published in the 60s and 70s by Congolese politicians. Um, so really, I tried to knit together uh, many different sources and any given paragraph might have, you know, 10 different things behind it, uh, all of which you can see in the end notes, but um, hopefully read smoothly on the page. Yeah. Yeah. How is um, how is Congo today? It's not in a great place. Um country has yet to hold a democratic and peaceful transfer of power in its 63 years of existence as an independent nation. There was an election in 2018 and a transfer of power. The problem is the new president who replaced the old president was not the one who actually won elections. So the the democracy is is weak in Congo and, and, um, the country is extremely poor, one of the poorest in the world, and it's also uh, suffers from violence and instability, especially in the east of the country, where there are more than 120 different armed groups operating. And so it is it is a troubled troubled place to this day. Um, there is a massive UN, UN peacekeeping operation in Congo, just as there was way back in 1960. Um, corruption is endemic just as it was in 1960. So a lot of the problems remain. Uh, that's, that's sad. I, I was hoping that I kind of knew, I kind of knew that the, that it wouldn't be a hopeful way to end, but I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe at some point, um, it looks like such a great place. I've never been to the Congo, but um, it looks like a beautiful country. And maybe at some point it can get figured out. Um, yeah, and I should add that there are a lot of brave Congolese pro-democracy activists, and there's a lot of reason to be hopeful as well, despite the relatively negative picture I just painted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully they can figure it out and um, it's get get back 
or get on their feet, I guess would be the proper word, not back on their feet, but back, get, get on their feet. Um, is there, do you have any website or blogs or anything that the folks out there can, can find you on? Sure. My website is stuartareed.com, S-T-U-A-R-T-A-R-E-I-D.com. I'm also on Twitter slash X at the same, same handle, Stuart A. Reed. Um, and yeah, thanks for, uh, you know, I, I hope people enjoy the book and, uh, it's, it's really a crazy story where, where truth is sometimes stranger than fiction. Uh, yes, I was going to say, that's what I was trying to think of earlier. Uh, truth is definitely stranger than fiction. And this, this book, um, really lives up to that. And I, uh, for the listeners out there, I think you're going to like this. It'd make a great Christmas gift for that history aficionado in your life. Or if you're like me, just buy it for yourself and uh, enjoy it. So thank you once again, Stuart. Thank you so much, Sean. Always fun to talk. Great. And um, we'll leave you all with that. And once again, that was Stuart A. Reed. The book is The Luamba Plot, The Secret History of the CIA. And um, I think you guys will really, really, and A Cold War Assassination, I left off the last part of that title. I'm so excited uh, for you guys to go out there and read it. Um, Check it out. The link is in the show notes and we will see you all next time. Do you like the sound of the American History Podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com. 